For those of you that don't know any better, Glenda's my wife that you just sang. But that was my fault. Well, I was going to tell you the result of that is like, don't pray for her, pray for me. We were asked to come down to Jacksonville uh, a while back, and uh, <clears throat> we we had to stop along the way in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, to well, we just had to stop, and anyway, uh, we we spent the night there, and. <clears throat> You know, in Savannah, there's this waterfront where all these huge, huge freighters come in and carry all those boxcars and everything. So, Glenn and I walked around through there for a while, and uh, they have all kind of little shops there that you can go in and they have fortune-telling places and everything. So Glenda went into this fortune-telling place uh, <laughs> to have her fortune told. And uh, she sat down, and this lady um, looked at her and, you know, and went through all this and, and said, Miss Powell, I really hate to tell you this, this is really hard. Your husband is about to die a violent and horrible death. And so Glenda sat there for a while, and uh, and she said to this lady, Ma'am, could I ask you another question? And this lady said, Sure, I can answer that. And Glenda said, Will I be acquitted? So, so that's why you need to pray for me instead of, instead of her. But 72 years ago this morning, the Lord sent a little girl into this world that enables me to be here before you tonight. And I'm really thankful for Glenda. She's the best thing the Lord ever gave me, and I tell everybody that. And after that, um, we'll take an offering. How's that? <laughs> the Lord loves a cheerful giver, so are, you better give. I, I want you to turn with me, um, if you will, in your Bibles for our study this evening to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is only the beginning of... Uh, and it's sort of the introduction to what I want to uh, speak to you about uh, this evening. And I was talking to uh, Brother Allen uh, uh, just now about uh, a little situation we were discussing that um, the, th- the things that befall folks who are adherents to the um, to the kingdom teaching in this world. This is the Apostle Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 9, the last part uh, of the chapter. 
is, is where I'd like to begin. And um, if you'll um, look with us uh, to verse 24 without reading a, a great deal of the Scripture, but in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, the apostle is, is encouraging folks, and he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And one thing that I want to emphasize to you here is that the Lord is not telling believers that they are competing with one another. He's telling believers simply run with the prize in view. And this is what he did. He said, I press forward to the prize that lays before me. And there is a prize. And I want you to see that this evening. And in verse 25, he continues and he says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. That is, that is he is controlled. And a better word for it is that he is disciplined. And he says, now, the athletes of the world do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible, an enduring, an, an everlasting uh, crown, we are uh, running so as to obtain a prize that is lasting throughout the ages. And then he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or reproved or rejected or unqualified. <clears throat> you ever pastor a church and a lot of the folks that listen to you say, you know, what does he mean qualified? You don't have to be qualified. Well, they just became unqualified. Uh, there is such a thing uh, that the apostle is trying to tell us that we have to be disciplined. We have to have a goal set in front of us. We have to realize from whence we came and why and where we want to go. But it takes some training. It takes some strenuous effort. It does not come uh, easily. Many times, men and women have come, boy, preacher, I wished I knew the word. Well, have you read it? Well, I just can't understand the scriptures, you know. Well, uh, it takes practice. Uh, uh, and at, at, anyway, this is the introduction. And then I want you to continue with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He gives us an example. And it's this example that I want to use for our message tonight. 
He says in verse 1 of chapter 10, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all did eat the same spiritual meat. They all drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And here's a verse that you should mark this, but with many of them, and the word many here should actually be most. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now, what I want to do uh, for just a few minutes tonight is take you back to Egypt. Now, I want to want to ask you, if you will, uh, if you looking in Exodus twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, uh, this is where the apostle gives us an example as to what we need to be paying heed to, and there are some interesting things here that that I hope will be uh, uh, meaningful to you. If you, if you look back to this chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 13 and 14 and 15 and so forth, uh, we'll just look at a few of, of these verses. They have uh, been passed over uh, through the Passover lamb, and uh, they have now come... Uh, in the, a particular way to um, <clears throat> to uh, the Red Sea, and if you if you look here uh, in let's see, chapter thirteen. I'm trying to find that. I didn't wear my thing tonight to keep my hands together, so you just have to bear with us. But um, if you look if you look here at you'll see in in chapter 13 that God led the people in verse 18 through the way of the wilderness uh, of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel saying God will Surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones uh, hence with you. And then if you look down in verse 21, you'll see the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, there are, there are two things that I want you to see at this scene. One of them is heavenly. That's the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And the other thing is earthly. 
This was uh, human responsibility. So keep these two things in your mind. One is this precious pillar of the cloud and the other the pillar of the fire. And the other was that the Lord made the children of Israel responsible for something. And in a minute, I want you to see that when the children of Israel left Egypt, they took three important things with them. And this is the human responsibility. And if you read this story, and it's referred to in Isaiah, the Psalms, Nehemiah, and so forth, uh, this was a pivotal scene uh, for the children of Israel, and it is an example for us. Here is this pillar of the cloud. Here is this pillar of the fire. And the purpose of this was to lead them. And it was also the method through whom God revealed his presence to his people. God also spoke to them through this cloud. God also protected them with this cloud. He put the same cloud on the rear end of the children of Israel, and the Egyptians thought it was dark. And yet they realized that God was protecting them. So just think about this divine intervention in their lives, and they crossed the Red Sea. You know, uh, I had a professor once, and he told me about when he was in in college that uh, he was in class, and uh, uh, this professor was a liberal, and he said to his students, you know, this was really not the Red Sea uh, that was deep and wide and so forth. It was just the Sea of Reeds, and it was only about three inches or so deep. And the professor told us, you know, that this country guy got up in the back of the class and said, Hallelujah. And the professor was bewildered and he said, Son, what is wrong with you? He said, Boy, that's a greater miracle than the Bible tells us. It means Pharaoh and his army drowned in three inches of water. So when you read that in your commentaries, remember that old country boy, okay? <laughs> but they, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Do you know why God mentions that? They were at the very bed of this sea. And the reason that he says that is because do you know where the root of our salvation come from? Dry ground. The Lord Jesus is the root from dry ground in Isaiah 53. And then when the Lord closed all of this back up, they could remember that He had cast their sins 
into the depth of the sea. But this was just the beginning. This is, this is not the end. And if you read Nehemiah 9, you'll see that the Lord did not take away this pillar of the cloud, nor did he take away the pillar of fire. He let them, They failed him. They rejected him. They murmured and they complained, but God didn't take it away. God is faithful, kind of like what Paul says when he's writing to Timothy. If we deny him, nonetheless, he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. And what that means is, is that his purpose will be fulfilled. God's purpose will always be fulfilled. Now then, I want you to look with me at the three things that the children of Israel took with them out of Egypt. And these things are really important. If you, uh, if you look back to... Um, uh, chapter 3 in the book of Exodus for, for a minute. And the only reason this happened, did you know, is it, is it not amazing that folks, uh, that folks can obey and fulfill the Lord's word and don't know it? That's really precious to me. And let me tell you, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 21, the scriptures tell us, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go out empty. Do you know why they didn't go out empty? Well, preacher, you know, no, no, no. The reason they didn't go out empty is because of Genesis fifteen nineteen. God told Abraham more than 400 years ago that these people would be in captive in uh, a strange land and that they would go out with great substance. Even sinners have to obey the Lord's word. So in verse 22 of this chapter, every woman shall ask of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in the house jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. That's one of the things that the children of Israel left Egypt with. The jewels of silver, the jewels of gold, and, and raiment. Do you know what they did with it? They put it on their sons and daughters. Wonder why God did that. Do you know why? Because he knew the mothers and fathers would, did, would not believe him and all above 20 was going to die. But God let them out, and if you look over in chapter 11 and in chapter 13 also, <clears throat> you, you'll, uh, you'll see that he mentions this again, that uh, they went out with, um, 
these jewels of silver and jewels of gold and and the raiment that was there in uh, chapter 12 verse 35 i think's the last reference to this now then what the lord did and i'd like for you i'd like for you to think about this and we're going to we're going to get to the promised land soon uh, but just think about the journey that it takes to get there. One of the reasons that the Lord did this, as you probably would well know, that these people were slaves, servants, and so forth, and now they have all of these riches, and the Lord was going to use that to build his tabernacle. Because where in the wilderness would they find all this stuff? But you know what they did? They misused it. They made them a golden calf. And they, but God didn't take away the pillar of cloud. He didn't take away the pillar of fire. God remained faithful. His purpose is still intact. So then, you know, uh, you may as well jump on board because God's going to do it anyway. <laughs> but they misused this. Do you know what that meant for them? It cost them. Because you know how they entered the rest that God had promised for them in the book of Joshua. They didn't have an east wind blowing or they didn't have a man with a rod parting the waters. There wasn't dry ground. But the Lord told Joshua, get the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant. And they finally used the jewels of silver and the jewels of gold for the purpose that God intended. And the priests who were bearing the Ark of the Covenant, when their soles of their feet came to the brink of the water, the water stopped. And they didn't go across on dry land. They stood on the stone. And you see, there's a difference between the root out of dry ground and the stone. The root is spirit salvation to deliver us from the world. Standing on the stone is standing on the promise that the stone cut out of the mountain will one day come back and rule and reign over this earth and we'll enter into his rest. But let me show you something and I'm not going to try to turn to a lot of places, I'll just tell you. And believe me, it's there. Um, when they finally took these jewels and, and they built this tabernacle, the Lord led them through all these land. Then something happened. The Lord told them in the book of Deuteronomy, don't meddle with the 
Edomites, the Moabites, or the Ammonites. Now that would be strange to me. The Lord said, don't meddle with them. Leave them alone. Do you know what this means? The Edomites are Esau. The Moabites and the Ammonites are Lot. Do you know what they represent? Esau was a man of the flesh. Sold his birthright for a mess of pottage. That's the lust of the flesh. Lot was a man of vision. He looked out on the plains and chose that which looked good worldly. And he was also a proud man in that he became one of the leaders in that great city of Sodom as he sat in the gate. That's the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And in 1 John 2.16, that's all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's how sin began in the Garden of Eden. Well, why would that be important? Because the Lord's trying to show us something. He's trying to give us an example. When they used the jewels and the raiment for the purpose that God wanted them to use it for, they built this tabernacle. Do you know what was in the first room of the tabernacle? There was the table of showbread, the candlestick, and the altar of incense. Do you know what the Lord's trying to teach us? Why wouldn't he let them attack the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites? You can't conquer the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life, except in one way. And it is in the power of being in the room of the Lord Jesus Christ. The table of showbread tells you to feed on God's bread, and that conquers the lust of the flesh. You know, let me ask you a question. Now, you won't answer this truthfully because I know you'll lie. But I know what the answer is before I even ask you. When you sit down to really read the Lord's Word, and you read the... Do you ever have bad thoughts coming into your mind? But you know, if you continue to read, and you continue to listen, the Lord will arm you with that. But in the tabernacle, the table of showbread 
the candlestick and the altar of incense is I'll feed on the Lord's word. I'll see the Lord's revelation. I'll kneel at the altar of prayer and I'll conquer the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And I'll use that riches that God has given me to enter into the rest which he's provided for me. Now then, <clears throat> let, me, um, let me ask you to uh, <clears throat> look, look with me if you're still in Exodus chapter 12 for a minute. Let me read to you the second thing that they took with them. Look with me in Exodus chapter 12. And this is kind of funny. Uh, you know, I, I, I used to think, what in the world did they do that for? But um, in Exodus 12, verse 34, the second thing they took was the kneading troughs. Well, and what I want to what I want to impress you with tonight is this: protect the bread. If you read this verse, the people took their dough before it was leavened. Their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulder. They wrapped up these kneading troughs with their clothes. Well, why? Leaven's in the air. You can just leave the dough open and the Lord's saying to them, cover it up. Protect it. And in a typical sense, that's what he's telling us. Protect the bread. Protect the bread. Cover it up. Do you know what Jesus warned his disciples about repeatedly? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What was the leaven of the Pharisees? Hypocrisy. Do you know what's prevalent in our day? Demons teaching lies in hypocrisy. It's full of it. You know, well, I ain't going to get into all that, but... Um, the leaven of the Sadducees. Matthew 16, did Jesus tell, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. They were rationalist. They didn't believe in angels and the resurrection and so forth. They had no spiritual concept. Beware of the leaven of the Herodians, worldliness. And you know, Dr. Wilson used to tell me before 
he moved to Texas and finally died, he used to say, the church is becoming more worldly and the world is becoming more churchy. And so we're all getting along real good. What we like today is we want a good, mild-mannered preacher who will preach to a whole bunch of mild-mannered congregation about how to become more mild-mannered, and then we leave. Here's the danger. Have you read the parable of the kingdoms or the kingdom parables in Matthew 13? And if you read this parable, it's like a woman comes and sows leaven in three measures of meal. Have you ever wondered why he said three measures of meal? Do you know when God came down and met with uh, Abraham, Abraham told Sarah in Genesis 18, prepare us some bread, three measures of meal, and there is no covenant under greater attack in this world today than the Abrahamic covenant. Men don't know that. People don't know that. But this land that God wanted these children to go into has been promised to the Jew through the Abrahamic covenant, and it will come to pass. Protect the bread. Now then, the third thing that I want to hurry up and get around to that the the children of Israel took with them is in chapter 13 of the book of Exodus, and I think uh, I read that to you in verse 19. They took the bones of Joseph with them. That was an unusual request. Can you imagine in the Exodus that night when hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people were trying to leave? Moses said, uh-oh, we got to get Joseph's bones. In Genesis 50, Joseph told them, uh, the Lord's going to visit you, and when he does, I want you to take my bones with you. He didn't want to be raised in the Egypt or the world. He didn't want to be raised in the resurrection in the wilderness. He wanted to be in the promised land. Now then, the significance of that is, and the typical uh, application of it is in 2 Corinthians 4 where the Apostle Paul says that we are always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus in order that the life might be manifest. Now, can you imagine these people carrying these bones for all these years? And one of the reasons that he gives us this is to show us 
how slow we are to learn. Do you know what the significance of it is? The Lord's telling us that the living faith of a dead man is more powerful than the dead faith of hundreds of thousands of people who are walking in unbelief. Joseph's faith, do you you know what happened to his bones? Look with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24 hurriedly, and then I'll, I'll try to close. Unless I think of something else. But. <laughs> Joshua 24, verse 32. In verse 32 of Joshua 24, it says, And the bones of Joseph which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shishun in a parcel of ground which the father had bought years before for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of Joseph. The purpose that the Lord's trying to show us here is that if we suffer with him and bear in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life might be manifest, the time will come where the Father has bought an inheritance for us and we can find rest there. And then I want to show you one other thing and then, then, then I'll close. Do you know that pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire? If you, and I'm just going to tell you this, I'm not going to ask you to turn. Did you know when Solomon built the temple, 1 Kings 8? In this magnificent structure, he built two pillars. The Jews always said, and I can't prove this, but the Jews always said those two pillars represented the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. The reason being, one was named Boaz, who was the Redeemer. And who the Lord had promised that he would blot out their sins as a thick cloud. The second pillar was Jachin, who was a priest, who saw and realized when the sacrifices were made that the fire of approval came down from the Lord to accept that sacrifice. And that's why they believed that. And I think it's legitimate, but nonetheless, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. 
But the children of Israel, when they entered into the promised land, disobeyed the Lord. They turned to other things. The children of Israel in the time of Solomon disobeyed him, and Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed all of the temple. And he took these two pillars with him, and he didn't break them up. And did you know what, what's going to characterize the millennial reign in the millennial kingdom of the Lord Jesus? Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 4, and I'll close. In Isaiah chapter 4, look with me in verse 4 of the fourth chapter. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense, and there will be a tabernacle for a shadow in the day from the heat, and a place of refuge, and for a covert from storm and from rain. God's heavenly purpose will be fulfilled irregardless of our failures. If we want to participate, we must use what he gives us in the jewels and the raiment for the purpose for which he gives it. We must protect or cover the bread of truth. And Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 10 that we are all one lump. And we must bear in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus. There is no inheritance without suffering. Thank you for listening to me tonight. I appreciate it so much. And if you will, bow with us and we'll close with our prayer. Thank, thank you, Father, for the opportunity to speak to these precious brothers and sisters. Help us as we go our separate ways. And in a few days, please watch over each one and guide them safely to their homes with some truth or some aspect of your heavenly kingdom that will influence their lives and make us all better and stronger believers for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alan.